if I want to have a successful business, I don't go to the billionaire. I go to the gal or the guy that's had two bankruptcies because, man, I can learn from and avoid their mistakes more likely than I can replicate the successes of the other person. Now, I need both in my life, but I find that just in life, avoiding the inevitable mistakes is probably 60 to 70% of the, of the journey. Hi, friends. Welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. That was Scott Miller. Scott is a senior advisor at Franklin Covey, where he formerly was the CMO. He's the host of On Leadership, the world's largest and fastest growing podcast on leadership. And he's the author of multiple books, including his latest, Master Mentors, Volume 2, 30 Transformative Insights from Our Greatest Minds. In our conversation today, we're talking about mentors and mentorship and the pivotal roles a mentor can play in your personal development and in enabling you to achieve your goals. We dig into what it means to be a mentor and perhaps we broaden the definition for you to see how a wider range of mentors and uh, resources can help you. In fact, Scott shares a story about the person who was a key mentor to him, who was someone he actually never met. Then we dive into lessons from Scott's book and the insights he gleaned from his conversations from 30 top thinkers, including why a human-centered approach to work and life produces the greatest results, why you can't plan what to do next in your career or your life until you know what's most important to you, what the important differences are between self-worth, self-esteem, and self-confidence, and why true self-awareness is so critical to your success. So we'll get into all this and much, much more. But before we get to Scott, I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. So thank you for your help with that. And let's jump into it with Scott Miller. Scott Miller, welcome back to the show. Andy, thank you for the invitation, the spotlight, and the platform. Honored to be here. Oh, it's honored to have you back. I mean, this is, I don't know, my third time. I think you keep writing books. We keep having you back on the show. That's a good deal. I appreciate <laughs> That's that. That's a good deal. Yeah. I mean, okay. you're one of these... You start falling in the category. There's like uh, you, uh, gentleman Jeb Blunt. I don't know if you know Jeb, but writes extensively about sales. Uh, <laughs> you're just so prolific. It's like Jim Collins. I always you know, feel a little Adam Grant, James Clear. Like, That's my category, right? Yeah. There you go. Yeah. No, but I mean, it's like every every you know. Less than every year. It seems like you're in a cycle. Less than a year. I do. I do. I actually have uh, three books coming out in 2023. <laughs> which is probably irresponsible, but it's kind of how they landed with the pandemic and logistics and timing and such. So I may scale it back a little in 2024. Don't hold me to that. Yeah, just one book. Yeah. Yeah. The rest of us, uh, I think, okay, well, yeah, I've written three books. Yeah, we published all of another podcast episodes. Oh, and then it's like somebody comes in, it's like, oh, we're pushing out three books next year. <laughs> hey, that was not me gloating. That was me confessing. Trust I'm, me. Like, I'm like, what am I doing with my time? <laughs> so, anyway, we're going to talk about uh, your book, Master Mentors 2, the sequel. Uh, actually, I don't think we had you on for Master's Mentor 1, but um, tell us a little bit about, before we talk about the book, tell us a little bit about you and what you do. Sure. Thanks, Andy. Again, appreciate it. So I'm Scott Miller, lived here in Salt Lake City with my wife, uh, Stephanie, and our three young sons, 8, 10, and 12. For 25 mm -hmm. years, I was an executive leader at the Franklin Covey Company, the largest, I think, most trusted leadership development firm in the yep. world, founded by the, um, the seminal author, Dr. Stephen yep. R. Covey, mm -hmm. Seven yep. Habits of Highly Effective People, was the chief marketing officer for a decade, led executive um, 
level thought leadership. And about five years ago, I started launching what is now the world's largest weekly leadership podcast. Hits about six to seven million each Tuesday, where like you, I'm privileged to interview, you know, thought leaders, business titans, authors, celebrities, people who've recovered from traumatic experiences. And, mm -hmm. uh, and like you, I learned a tremendous amount. And I started to realize, Andy, that after the first couple of uh, years, man, there are so many transformational insights that are shared on air, sometimes off air. And so Harper Collins assigned me to a 10 volume deal where each year I'm releasing a version kind of like chicken soup for the soul called right. master mentors, 30 transformative insights from our greatest minds where I select 30 guests from the previous year. And with their permission, I write a story or insight about something that they shared fast, easy, breezy. This is not Jim Collins, good to great. It's more like <laughs> chicken soup for the soul, but they're easy chapters. You can read one chapter yep. a night, you know, five, yep. six minutes before you go to bed. And I like those kinds of books. So I write those kinds of books and the series has done quite well. And I am privileged to be pivoting from the first half of my life, having the spotlight shined on me to now turning the spotlight onto others and shining my platform and spotlight onto others. And that's why master mentors is my passion now. Got it. So are you still at Franklin Covey? So I retired from Franklin Covey two years ago as the chief marketing officer, mm -hmm. but I am still on a, on a, a perpetual consulting agreement. I help sure. to lead their public relations strategy. I host their two of their podcasts for them. I lead their books and publication strategy, do a couple of odd things. I do some interviews for them. I speak for them quite frequently around the world. I was in Croatia last week, Paris the week before but I'm now an independent agent. I own a talent agency, speaking agency, and literary agency. And I'm with my wife raising three sons. That's job one, by the way. Yeah, good, always job one. So you write about your own mentor, because I want to talk about this concept of mentors, because it seems it's really hard for younger professionals to sort of wrap their heads around this idea of, what's a mentor do and how do a, how do I find one? Um, and they can be so transformational as you talk about in the book. So how should people go about this process of sort of identifying a, do they need one and how do they find one? Well, a, yes, everyone needs multiple mentors. I don't know anybody uh, that's achieved any level of success that hasn't had mentors, multiple mentors in their life. Now, maybe they didn't name them my mentor or say, would mm. you be my mentor? So let's talk about that for a moment. I sure. think mentorship, Andy, is often associated in an organizational context, right? I work for this company, they have a mentoring program, I raise my hand either as a mentee or mm -hmm. a mentor and the company matches us up and we have 10 sessions and then we you know, graduate and all is great. And that's great. I think every company should in fact have a mentoring program where you do match mentees with mentors and they take you through a process. The role of mentor is really to help uncover what the mentee wants to do so that they can really discover it and unleash it. Mm -hmm. Your job as a mentor is to help other people achieve the goal that they want, maybe even helping them uncover it and discover it themselves. Right. Everyone should have a mentor. I also don't think that it has to only be within your organizational professional setting. That's usually how we think of the term. I have lots of mentors that don't even know I'm alive. <laughs> well, you write, write about that in the book. I do. 
I do. I have, I have maybe not dozens, but I can name you a dozen people that I have patterned my life behind, my finances, my marriage, my success. Let's face it, Andy, I've never had an original idea my entire life. Most of us sadly haven't. Right, right. I'm okay with that. I, you know, yeah. had a beer and then recovered and now I'm okay with that. And so I'm very much modeling my life after an aggregate, a pollination, if you will, of what I think are the successes of other people. And yeah. so it might be authors, it might be podcast hosts, it might be keynote speakers that I very much view as my mentor. So I would kind of open today's conversation saying, I think there's a formal definition of mentorship, which is, you know, basically pro bono coaching, right? It's right. often someone that has, that has done something or failed at something that you want to avoid failing at and you anoint them or ask them permission to be your mentor for a set period of time. That doesn't mean they're going to fund your business. That doesn't mean they're going to open their metaphorical Rolodex to you. They're mm -hmm. just going to unveil and give you access to their wisdom, the things they've done well and the things they've, they, things they've failed at. That's great mentorship. But by no means should your listeners today box in mentorship as, you know, the lady on the third floor who's the CFO and she meets with me from two to five or two to three every Friday. Broaden your definition of what it means to be a mentor because everyone in life needs multiple mentors at different phases on your own journey. And I think that you also need mentors whose role or, you know, in your life extends beyond, as you said, just a job, right? People that are there for, at least for me, I think about two pretty critical ones in my life that have you know, been ever present for decades. Um, and not even necessarily a formal mentor role, but they are a mentor. I mean, people that I would not have accomplished what I've accomplished without their input and their questions and their, uh, their guidance. Andy, same exact for me, right? Decades of older, wiser, smarter, better educated, better culture people. But I'll tell you what I do is, uh, unlike some people, if I'm looking to accomplish something in life, I don't necessarily always go find the most successful person. If I want to know how to have a great marriage, I usually don't go to the person who's had a 40-year marriage. I usually go find the person who's had four marriages <laughs> because I can't replicate right. the personality, the patience, the tolerance, the genius of the person who's had four-decade marriages. But what I can do is I can learn from and avoid the mistakes of the guy who had four marriages. Right. That's I don't mean to demonize idea. someone who's had four marriages. Or if I want to have a successful business, I don't go to the billionaire. I go to the gal or the guy that's had two bankruptcies because, man, I can learn from and avoid their mistakes more likely than I can replicate the successes of the other person. Now, I need both in my life, but I find that just in life, avoiding the inevitable mistakes is probably 60 to 70 percent mm -hmm. of, the, of the journey. Right. <laughs> oh, excuse me. Yeah, no, I... I... <laughs> Yeah, I agree. I, I still always sort of told my kids is, is, you know, you're trying to avoid the really big mistake. You're going to make mistakes. Uh, but, yeah, if you can surround yourself with people to help you learn and help you, uh, I said, avoid the, the really big ones, then you're going to be in a pretty good position. And oftentimes it's practical stuff, right? It's, oh, I sure. see. So that's, that's what led you to that bad decision or – We'll all be presented in this situation. Here's how I make sure I recuse myself from that. I don't find myself in that situation. And to me, that's been very helpful, whether it just be, you know, the company of people that I'm in or when, you know, you gravitate towards people that have 
perhaps a lower common denominator in terms of ethics and values. You can slippery slope yourself down real quickly. And so mm -hmm. I, I, I passionately evangelize that learning from people's mistakes is more valuable than trying to replicate someone's successes. Well, yes. And I think part of the reason for that, and this, I think this has become interesting, your perspective on this, because certainly in the sales world, this has become much more common in the last 10, 15, 20 years with uh, more you know, really interesting technologies flowing into sales is this, this idea that everybody, you know, you can pattern yourself exactly after someone, right? You can listen to people's phone calls and record them and annotate them and analyze them with AI. And then, you know, coaches take it and they take it to their seller and say, you know, be just like Mike, right? But the fact is no one can be just like Mike. Mike is Mike. Um, and to your point earlier, we're all the the sum of multiple influences on how we've developed. And this idea that now we're going to put you in a position where there's only one way to succeed is hugely flawed. But it's sort of this prevailing thought process you see in so many leaders these days. Well, I think early in my sales career, in my my 30-year career, 20 of it was in sales. You know, mm -hmm. I actually carried a bag or I led a team. Right. I, I, you know, at Franklin Covey, 25 years, that's 100 quarters in a public company. 100 mm -hmm. quarters of hitting or not hitting the quarter. Talk about, you know, low self-esteem some quarters. Right. Uh, I think you're absolutely right. Is You can't be anybody else, but you can learn from other people how to say something, how not to say something, how to approach, how to read the energy in the room, how to find common ground between your person, mm -hmm. how to make sure you have... Um, an authenticity about yourself and a vulnerability. You know, I don't know the answer to that, but I'll go find out. Here's what I can tell you, what I do know. And so I've learned that hard way, how to, how to take the talents and the successes of other people and figure out which, which of those can I replicate? Which, which should I not? Maybe I could replicate them, but I shouldn't because it would be inauthentic. It wouldn't be mm -hmm. who I am. Right. And I think increasingly, even more so post pandemic, there is a level of transparency, vulnerability, desire to have authenticity in everything and everyone in your life. And so probably now more than ever, is it more important for you to have a really good introspection of what is it like to be across from the table with me? What's my energy like? What is my tone like? What is my eye contact like? What is my knowledge like? Self-awareness as a salesperson is probably more important than product knowledge or negotiation skills. Oh, 100%, 100%, 100%. I was gonna, yeah, you have one of your mentors in there, Tasha Yurek, right. talking about self-awareness. Um, and this is this is such a critical point. I'm glad you, you segued into that because if you ask most salespeople, so why do you win? When you win a deal, why, why are you winning? Or when you yeah. lose a deal? Why, why are you losing a deal? And the initial response for most people is, well, we didn't have the right product set. We didn't have the right feature functionality and so on. But there's research that's come out just in the last year that says, uh, hey, when you look at the, the major reasons why you win deals or lose deals, and this is all based on thousands of interviews with, with buyers, none of it's about the product or the functionality or the features. It's about the experience with the human, the seller, that becomes the difference. And, and so if that's the case, we have all these salespeople going out and no one ever has told them, well, how are you being received? Are you, are you being intentional about that? 
thoughtful about that? Are we giving you that data? And so they have zero, in many cases, zero self-awareness about how people are viewing them. I have countless examples to reinforce what you just said. As the chief marketing officer for a decade of a global public leadership company, offices in 50 countries, every week I found myself in a conference room with a different vendor, whether it be for you know a marketing automation mm -hmm. tool or a data aggregator or whatever it was. And you'd interview four or five different vendors and you could walk in the room and you knew in a matter of 30 seconds what the trust was inside of that organization. You could read the hierarchy. You could read the body language. You knew if the sales VP had flown in and what they had told their salesperson, what they would and wouldn't say and who would speak. And you could cut the tension with a knife. <laughs> and many times I rarely went with the most reputable product. Sure. I often went with the people that I liked. Who's going to be there when I've got a problem? Who's yes. going to not sell me more than what I need? Who's going to not call me up and, and try to force products down or services I don't need down my throat? And I got wise to that. Um, no. I've, been on this, I've been on the losing side of some deals right, as a salesperson. Sure, we all are. Yeah. And, and, and as I look back, I think, oh my gosh, I mean, you know, I'm a fairly anxious person. I don't have anxiety, but you know, I, I do not elicit calm in people. So now, you, you have the, the knee tapping or the knee moving in me? No, not nervous energy. Okay. I just, I'm always in motion. I'm a very productive right. person. You know, you, you, you call me to evacuate a burning building. You don't call Scott Miller to give a eulogy at a funeral. And so I'm the kind of person that if you go to dinner with me, I order the appetizers, dessert, and check at the same time. <laughs> I have nowhere to go. Right. I just don't like silence. Right. I like to be in motion. And I learned the hard way mainly from my wife flogging me a lot around what it's like to be around me. Yes. Some people find it endearing and some people find it repellent. Mm -hmm. So I had to really work on what is it like to buy from Scott Miller mm -hmm. and become much more self-aware and humble around the things that I think people should like. Sometimes they find, I'll use the word again, repellent. Mm -hmm. Well, so this idea, that the Tasha's right, the self-awareness. I mean, to me, it's, it's, it's an identity, right? I, I like to talk about having a sales identity, right? Is, is, yeah, if you could summarize in four words or five words, why buyers are receptive to you and why they want to do business with you. And maybe even, you know, write them on your, <laughs> I talk about my book is, you know, take a Sharpie out, write them on your head, forehead and black Sharpie so people can see it you have that level of intention and influence how you act and how you receive, but it's just not there. Can I answer that question? Sure. This is 54 year old Scott versus 24 year old Scott. Oh yeah. Changes for sure. Yes. I, I think now if someone were to say, why should I buy from you? I would say, well, I'll never lie to you. I won't spin. I won't posture. I won't position. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you the truth. And if I don't know the answer, I'll go find it. And right. I'll admit to you, I won't find it. I'll be your advocate. I promise you, if I find or discover that my solution isn't best for you, I will tell you that mm -hmm. because I want you to come back to me and be seen as a trusted advisor. Right. I'll be vulnerable. I, I will I'll tell you what I do or don't know, and I'll be your advocate. I, I, I Honestly, I'll put your needs ahead of my company's needs because I believe that when I do that, you will both get what's best for us. Because if I put my needs ahead of yours, that means you won't renew. You won't expand. Yep. You won't refer. And I'm in this for the long term. I want us to be friends 
and I want you to trust me, and I recognize that I'm going to have to behave my way into a reputation where you view me as trustworthy. Those things never would have crossed my mind in my 20s. No. I wasn't unethical. I had character, but I was about hitting my quarter, and I would hit it at all costs. Not all ethical costs, but I would sell you things you didn't need. No harm, no foul. You would never know. You might even like them. You might even be convinced they were the best thing. You bought them, not me. You wrote the check. I was fairly charismatic. I had a great briefcase. My shoes were shined. I had a big vocabulary. Mm-hmm. I had a corporate credit card. Welcome to the 90s. <laughs> that doesn't work in 2020. Uh, yeah. Didn't... No. When I Yeah, there's so much there. I think that... <laughs> that... We change, obviously, we morph, but this idea that you actually carry an identity as a seller is something that, and you have to be intentional about what it is, is, is such a missing piece in the way we, we train and enable sellers. Because we know from research that, I cited some of it earlier, but also in the case of like Challenger, it talks about you know, more than 50% of the purchase decision is based on the buyer's experience with the individual seller, them as a human. You know, what you talked about is this idea I write about in my book is sell without selling out is there's one question that we all have to answer from buyers. And that question is, why you? Yeah. And it's not a question that we answer verbally. It's to your point. It's they, we answer it through our actions and our behaviors. And through our character, right? It just character and values, like, all that. Yes. Yeah, ma- ma- making and keeping commitments and yep. being punctual and telling the truth and admitting mistakes and offering apologies. I mean, these are very relevant uh, personality character traits that are hyper applicable in our time right now as sales sales producers, sales contributors, sales leaders. Well, I think one of the big disconnects that exists, I'll just give one example, is, is this idea that everybody wants to talk about, yeah, we're doing discovery with our prospects. Well, discovery has become so rote uh, increasingly, right? Because everybody's got the playbooks in our playlist. We've got this list of questions we ask, and we ask these questions. But these questions are designed to protect the sellers in some respects from having to ask a question they don't know the answer to, right? And or... Uh, you know, keep them in a position where they're being asked a question by the buyer that they don't know the answer to. And this, this, you know, act of vulnerability. And I discovered, Dale, you know, early in our career, we touched on this before we went on the air, is, yeah, history major in college, stumbled into sales like most people did. But I found so early on is that I was able to command the attention of CEOs and company founders by being willing to admit what I didn't know. And you know, getting back to them, being responsive with the answers and so on, but asking questions that inherently getting into trouble is inherently I didn't know the answer to is in advance. Andy, right? that's the difference between confidence and arrogance, right? Confident people are capable of demonstrating humility. Arrogant yes. people are not capable of de- demonstrating humility. And I think my first, you know, probably 15 years in sales, I was on the arrogant side. No, I think we all are. We start off charismatic, trustworthy, but you know, an arrogance. And then I, as I better understood that humility wasn't a weakness, it's a strength. That probably wasn't until my Mm forties, but I really understood that humility didn't mean you were shy or quiet or an introvert or retiring. 
I thought humble people were weak people. No, actually, humble people were often confident people. And I had to mature in as a sales leader, you know, le leading large P&Ls, global responsibility. Mm -hmm. I, had to, I had to check my arrogance and make sure that it was confidence, but that I was able to move outside of my comfort zone and right. demonstrate humility and vulnerability. And like you said, kind of admit what you don't know. And that did, I think, I did appeal to a lot of customers. I don't know the answer to that. And you can, you can be sure I'll go find out. I'll see you tomorrow with the yeah. answer. Well, I, I learned that lesson in my first job interview. Is <laughs> first job interview for a professional job after graduation. I was interviewing with a you know, large, large computer company. Uh, the sales manager brings me into the room, the hiring manager. The job was to sell computers to, you know, for accounting purposes to, in my case, it was the construction industry. And the first question out of the interviewer's mouth was, so are expenses a normal debit balance or credit balance? It was an accounting question. It wasn't, how are you doing? It wasn't, you know, tell me about you. It was, and it just threw me for an absolute loop, right? I was just like, deer in the headlight moment. The first, actually the first thought was, oh my God, well, what am I gonna tell my parents when I blew this interview? But uh, the second one was like, oh gosh. And so I, I said, I, you know, you have my transcript in front of you. You know, I took accounting in school. I did well at it, but I'm sorry. I just, the answer has eluded me. Can I go home tonight, look it up and call you tomorrow with the answer? Without saying a word, the guy stood up and left the room. And I thought, oh gosh, I really did it now. And a few minutes later, another gentleman comes into the office and he says, uh, so Ray, the guy I was just talking to, he says he wants to hire you. And that was my that was my first job interview. It's a great story. Yeah, just I guess I've been ingrained with you know, the way I was raised and so on. Just you know, we didn't yeah. Yeah. didn't try to BS our way out of things and yeah. be honest and yeah, humble. I mean, certainly was not perfect in that regard throughout my career. But yeah, this yeah. this intellectual humility is really a, a key key thing. So it, it sort of brings back to. One of the real fascinating stories in your book about Zafar Massoud, a uh, gentleman you interviewed who uh, was one of two survivors of a plane crash in Pakistan just a few years ago. Um, incredible story about <laughs> landing in the airplane seat on the top of a building after a plane went down. But the thing that was really, I really sort of resonated with that is, you know, it came to this, this realization that a human-centered human approach to his business, his duties, like he ran a bank, uh, but to his leadership and so on was so important in terms of building lasting connections. And the reason, part of the reason that resonated with me is, I'm just wondering if you're seeing this too, is, is this idea of the importance of connecting with humans. It's just certainly in the sales world, there's this very vocal minority that says, connections, eh, those aren't important. Your buyers don't want connections, human connections. Yeah, and one guy, one guy you know, said, hey, buyers don't want human connections. They have friends. And I'd had this person on my show before, and we'd had a vociferous argument about why it's not about making friends, about connections. But this, this, yeah, I'm sort of worried about this trend I see where people think that's not important. And I think it's actually becoming more important 
not less. I'm just interested in your thoughts on that. Well, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I don't think there's any trend. I disagree with him. <laughs> uh, I just interviewed Thomas Erickson, the famous Swedish author who wrote the book Surrounded by Idiots, right? It sold millions of copies. And I don't use the word idiots ever, but it's on my mind right now because right. I just interviewed him on my podcast. Right. Uh, that, that person, I think, is borderlining on an idiot because every company is now a technology company, whether you're selling lingerie or tulips or right. sales software. Every company is a lingerie company and every company is in the same business now. They're in the relationship business, period. Every leader needs to have the competency to develop relationships, high trust, high empathic, mutually beneficial relationships. Mm -hmm. I don't know why, I don't know why it has to be converted into they don't want a friend. I, well, I, I don't. That's the, sort of the, the, the sloppy thinking that just drives yeah, me Yeah, nuts. yeah, yeah. That's just a cliche or that's a yeah. nice throwaway line. Yeah. I don't know who that person is. I'm sure he has lots of confidence. Maybe he needs more friends or better relationships. And maybe that's just his value proposition. I just vehemently agree. My 30 years is that all that matters in life are your relationships because they flow from your reputation and they drive your results. Right. Reputation, relationships, and results. It's all that matters. Now, are there some products that are just, you know, commodities, you know, oh, paper sure, towels or paper towels? Yeah, I don't care who I buy them from. What's the cheapest way to get her on time, not damaged, right? I mean, unless you're selling paper towels. And even then, I'll bet you the person who buys the paper towels buys based on the relationship because of your ability to solve problems for them. Or you found them paper towels when they couldn't find any paper towels or right. whatever the re relationship there is with your product. It's all about relationships and the human side. You mentioned Zafar Massoud. He's number one master mentor, actually 31, in the new book, Master Mentors. He's the bank president of the Bank of Punjab in Pakistan. And like you mm -hmm. mentioned, he survived a commercial airline crash in the middle of the pandemic, one of only two survivors. 98 people died. Unbelievable story by the book, just to hear his story. And the big, the big uh, transformational insight in the chapter is around kind of so... So what's next after you've survived a plane crash? Right. How are you gonna clarify your values? How are you gonna set your priorities? How are you gonna spend your time? What's the most important to you? Where are you gonna put relationships in your life? And how do you make sure that that epiphany doesn't come having forced to survive a plane crash, right? How do you right now tonight after listening to this conversation, reassess your life and recognize that that's all that matters in life are relationships. And by the way, I think people do want friends. I don't think you have to be someone's, you know, golf buddy or right. buddy, but you know, I can use more better friends. I have lots of friends, but yeah. I can use more better friends. Well, but I also think it's perfectly fine. In the case, you know, Aristotle talked about, you know, friendships of utility. Right is is there's people even question and this is a vocal minority in sales that ah, yeah you don't even need to be friendly to your buyers and I'm like what are you talking about of course you of course you yeah, why, wouldn't, honestly, why wouldn't you be I mean first of all why wouldn't you be because it costs you nothing to be friendly to someone yeah, but it's like. A, that conversation is a waste of both of our times because we know it to be completely drunk and not true. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you write about it in that chapter. You said, and I so I actually took one of your sentences and I, I modified it. You said, you know, until you quote, until you know what's most important to you, you can't possibly know what to do next. Not authentically, at least, only after you're only after you're clear about what about the what can you proceed to the what's next. 
And, and I, I think that's so true in your own life. But I think it's also true when you're in sales about your buyers is, you know, until you know what's most important to them, you can't possibly know what to do next. And Andy, can I expand on that? Sure. I'm mindful of our time. I mentioned earlier that I've spent 30 years of my career in the leadership development business mm-hmm. four with the Disney company and now 27 almost with Franklin Covey. And the, my most profound learning experience was with our co-founder, Hiram Smith. He invented the Franklin Planner, sold okay. hundreds of hundreds millions of them. Of yeah. um, and everyone's still using some kind of paper planning tool, believe it or not, whether it's a notepad or a Philofax, right. right. it's back kind of big to complement technology. But I once heard our co-founder, Hiram Smith, who also passed a few years ago, at one of our internal conferences. And he really taught me the power of of really deciding your own personal values in life. Now, this is not a new idea. This is not an epiphany. And most of us, if you were asked your values, you'd say something off the top of your head and convenient that sounded politically expedient and socially acceptable. But very few of us have really taken the time, the days, the hours, the weeks Mm -hmm. to go and say, so what are my values? And I went and did that. took me several weeks and I came up with a, a series of seven of them. Okay. And I created an acronym, PhilPal, P-H-I-L-P-A-L. Okay. Purpose, health, integrity, loyalty, positivity, abundance, and learning. Purpose, health, integrity, loyalty, positivity, abundance, and learning. PhilPal. Well, yep. This is 15 years. This is almost 20 years ago. And I live my life, hopefully, in fierce accordance with them. Purpose, health, integrity, loyalty, positivity, abundance, and learning. I love it. And I live my life, like I said, hopefully every day. Of course, I violate them occasionally, but I have found it has made me a more trusted advisor, a better salesperson, hopefully a better husband, a better parent, a better leader. I'm more likely to say I don't know the answer to that. I'm more likely to own a mistake. I'm more likely to offer an apology. My confidence is higher. My arrogance is lower. My humility is higher. I'm a more likable person. I'm a more trustworthy person. So I would, I would advise, plead, implore all your listeners. If you've done this, done the same exercise, go do it. And by the way, I don't care, Andy, if you like my values, I don't care your opinion on them. I didn't pick my values with you in mind. I picked them with my legacy, my reputation, my my relationships in mind. And And by the way, I have personal values and I have professional values. I have three professional values. My first professional value is to maximize my income. I don't work for my health. I work for financial independence for my family. Mm -hmm. My second professional value is working with and for an organization and a brand that I'm proud of. Mm -hmm. My third professional value is working for and with people I like and trust. Right. And sometimes those values are in conflict, right? Maximizing my income Mm -hmm. with my purpose in life, right? My purpose in life now oddly, is being a parent to three young boys. I don't love parenthood, but my wife and I created three young kids and I love them. And my parents, my kids know I don't love parenting, but sometimes I have to pick my values because they're in conflict, but you will never know if they're aligned or in conflict if you don't actually write your values down. And I know this isn't, again, an epiphany for people, but I think some infinitesimal number of your listeners have taken the time to write out their values and live their life, their choices, their behaviors in accordance with them. And when you do that, 
you will transform the kind of salesperson, the kind of relationships you develop with your clients. No, I love it. I love it. I mean, just as you said, being, well, we talked about earlier, being self-aware about what that is, right? Not just how, in this case, just how you perceive those will contribute to how you're perceived by, by your buyers and people you work with. But yeah, I love the idea. I'm, I'm going to do it, it. And actually it translates into my behaviors. You know, I, purpose is my number one value. I happen mm -hmm. to be a religious person. I was raised in a religious family. Mm -hmm. and my wife and I are religious and we're raising our boys in that family. We're Catholic. It's no secret. Mm -hmm. I talk about it a lot. Right. My, my mother was not Catholic. I was raised in a, in a, in a, in a multi-denominational family. But for us, we go to mass on Sundays, but church starts on Saturday night. We iron the boys' clothes. We write our checks for church. We plan our brunch afterwards. And, and so, so we don't do sleepovers on Saturday nights because, you know, that's a value of ours. Sure. It's, it's right. purpose. And, and I don't vape. I don't smoke or, you know, <laughs> do drugs because health is a value of mine right. and integrity. And, and, and I'm, I like to be positive and abundant and loyal to my friends. Now, sometimes our values can be overplayed. One of my values is loyalty. I'm a fiercely loyal person. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it gets me in trouble because I will defend people when they both don't deserve it. And sometimes it actually is deleterious to my own reputation because right. I'll, I'll defend someone. And so I have to be thoughtful around, are my values uh, misserving me? And sometimes they do. And also as your roles change in life, your values might also change. Necessarily, I think, yes. But it's, a, it's an exercise that has been probably the single most transformative thing I've done in terms of aligning my mindset with my behaviors. Mm -hmm. And I've seen my results change as a result. No pun intended. Yeah, no, no. Um... Again, I know that was not a revelation, but I think we talk a lot about values but not many people sit down and actually think about them and then hierarchically rank them, commit them to memory, maybe right. even create an acronym around it. But then most importantly, Live align it. their behavior, right. their checkbook, their schedule, everything around it. So here's a question then for you related to that. Thanks for letting me get on my soapbox in that one. No, no, that's, I loved it. I loved it. So, cause this doesn't, I see this is something here that I could talk about that doesn't happen hardly at all that I've seen is so how do you hire people taking values into account? I ask them their values. I do the same thing in interviews. Mm -hmm. I'll ask them. So tell me, uh, tell me what your values are. And I make it very clear. And by the way, I don't actually care what they are. Uh, you don't, don't pick what you think I'm going to like, right? Because that's going to misserve you. Right. I'd like to know, what are your values? And, 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 and they usually get a quizzical look and they, and they think, well, what does he want me to say? Is he looking for patriotism? He's looking for honesty or joy. And most people haven't done the work on it. Right. And then I ask people, so what are your professional values? And they have no idea what I'm talking about. And I right. don't do it to stump people. I do it as a teaching moment. I say, can I just tell you, I think it's important for you because you know, if your number one professional value is, you know, an international placement, this might be a good company for you. If your number one value is title, this probably is the wrong company for you. If your number one value is equity, meaning like not equity inclusion, but like, you know, equity as in shares, shares right. this might be a good place for you, right? But, but you should be very clear what your professional values are, and then you should make sure that your employer can support those. So why don't you come back in three or four days and don't, don't tell me what you think I want to hear because that's not good for you. 
And so I think when I interview people, I don't ever force them into telling me what they want me to hear. I'm too seasoned for that. Mm -hmm. I think it's important because by the way, you know, I'm hiring you, but in many ways you're hiring us and we want you to be here more than the average span of 18 months. We want you to grow a career here and we refer your highly competent, trustworthy friends in. So let's make sure that your values can be ignited inside this company. And by the way, if they can't be, no harm, no foul. You deserve the right, not right, you deserve in your career to go find a company who can ignite your values. Well, exactly, because I, what I'm taking from what you're saying, because it aligns with what I believe, is that your ability to succeed is, is only so much attributable to your competency and a lot of it to the situation you put yourself into, right? If you're, if you're in a wrong situation where your values don't align with those employer or vice versa. Amen. Amen. Then that's, that's a roadblock for you. And Andy, Andy, the smartest thing I've ever heard, pardon my interruption. No, go ahead. The smartest thing I've ever heard someone say, it was a man named Blaine Lee. He was a co-founder of the Franklin Covey Company. He said nearly all, if not all conflict in life is from mismatched or unfulfilled expectations. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say it again. Nearly all, if not all conflict in life comes from mismatched or unfulfilled expectations, including with employees. Well, I, well I thought I, I wanted to be a vice president. Well, we're not a bank. We don't give out VP titles like they're nothing, right? Or I want equity. Well, we don't give equity until you're here for five years and you're, uh, you get the point, right? Well, I wanted right. to move the, to, the, to the Taipei office. We don't do business in Taipei or, or whatever it is, right? right? It's super important to get clear on your values so that you can ask the tough questions. These are my top three values. Is your compensation plan capped? Because if it is, this is the wrong place for me because mm-hmm. I have a 10 year reputation of exceeding goal and I want an uncapped comp plan. Right. So if your comp plan is capped, wrong place for me, let's call right. it right now. Right. And I think in 2022, these are the kind of conversations you ought to be having with prospective employees and prospective employee employers, oh. especially in sales. Especially in sales. And by the yeah, way, you can do this. You can do this in diplomatic ways. You can do this without sounding like a jerk or self-serving. By the way, you know, when you're looking for jobs, you should be very clear on what you can do for the company, right. not just what they can do for you. You should be as articulate and as impassionate about the, the employer's values and how you can right. help come and ignite their values. Yeah, I mean, there's a sort of section of the blogosphere on LinkedIn, talking about seven-figure incomes and how you achieve it. And yeah, I've talked to several of those people that have been on my show. It's just like, great aspiration, I guess, but it boils down to the situation. It's where you're choosing to work more than anything else that's going to unlock that possibility. Is there not just an uncapped compensation plan, but are you working with people whose values are similarly aligned and will enable you to become this best version of yourself in order to achieve that. Well said. So, all right. Well, gosh, I had a lot more of your mentor stories I wanted to go through, but we'll have to do that another time. Um, So Scott, tell people where they can learn more about the book and connect with you. Thanks, Andy. So the book I've just released is called Master Mentors Volume 2, 30 Transformative Insights from Our Greatest Minds. It's the second volume in the 10 volume series, one every year for the next eight years. You can find me at scottjeffreymiller.com. I write an article for Inc. Magazine. All the podcast episodes are there. All the books are on any book retailer 
digital or bricks and mortar. You can connect to me on LinkedIn, TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, you name it, I'm there. All right. I'm not on, Pin I'm not on Pinterest, <laughs> um, but other than that, I'm on every social platform posting multiple times a day. All right, Scott, thank you so much. Andy, thank you for the platform. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. I'm so grateful for your support of the show. And I want to thank our guest, Scott Miller, for sharing his insights with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. So thank you for your help with that. And as always, thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.